0: Blob Talk Radio. Oh, God. Mr. President, we have a national emergency. This is one of the things that we can shoot first and ask questions later. Normally, you can't do that. All of a sudden, these trees started moving out of the way. They parted for me. And then I came out into this opening, and there where I saw Jesus Christ. Back in 1927, an American socialist, Norman Thomas, six times candidate for president on the Socialist Party ticket, said the American people would never vote for socialism. But he said under the name of liberalism, the American people will adopt every fragment of the socialist program. He is more imminent, more imminent. James Madison, in 1788, speaking to the Virginia Convention, said, Since the general civilization of mankind, I believe there are more instances of the abridgment of the freedom of the people by gradual and silent encroachment of those in power than by violent and sudden usurpations. When men were free.
1: Broadcasting live from a secret location buried deep the Earth, you're about to make a connection to the signs of the times. W. Dean Shook is live on the air right now.
2: Welcome in to End Time News. I am your host, W. Dean Shook, bringing you the news that the establishment media doesn't seem to want to report on. And we have got a hot one today. We're going to expose the truth about this immigration crisis, or so it's being called, Actually, it's a Trojan horse being used for jihad. We're going to go through that today. We're also going to look at how this may, may fit into end time prophecy, and we'll get to that. I want to start with an apology for our listeners on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Apparently, Blog Talk is only going to carry the first half hour of the program. After that, it's going to drop off. But there is a solution. We are still live, full program, on the iHeart Radio Network. We're also live on the Spreaker Radio Network. Now, if you don't uh, get either one of those, you can also download the Endtime News Radio app for your iPhone or your Android. They're available on Google Play or at the App Store. But we've made it easier. We put a link to both of them on the webpage at wdeanshook.com. Just go to the webpage. It's right on the front of the page. It's absolutely free. You can download it today and never miss an entire episode of End Time News. There's also a player right on the web page where you can listen right from the web page, which would make it even easier. So let's get on with the news. So the question is, is this immigration crisis in Europe and soon coming to America a Trojan horse for jihad? Well, we're going to make a case with that, with reports out of the UN, and we're going to give a history of Islam and how they've used this in the past. So what happened to the migration crisis in Europe? Have you noticed the establishment media has gone silent on it? Well, I'll tell you why. The truth is coming out and they don't want you to know what's really going on. In case you think that this recent flood of Muslim invaders into the West is purely Barack Hussein Obama's idea. Maybe you need to dig a little bit deeper and understand this is all part of the United Nations High Commission for Refugees Transformation Agenda. This is via the influence of the Socialist International, SI. This agenda is nothing short of balkanizing Europe and the United States, making our lands filled with chaos, terrorism, strife, and wickedness. Now you think I'm kidding? The New American reports it this way. The UN High Commission for Refugees' Antonio Guterres and United Nations Children's Fund, that's UNICEF, their Executive Director, Anthony Lake, are the UN point men working closely with the Obama State Department. The active leadership in both of these individuals in the U.S. and the EU refugee policy is really cause for alarm. Even more alarming is the fact that they are not only troubling participants, The ranks of the UN officials involved in forming refugee solutions, quote-unquote, are filled with persons including from communist China who have neither the interest nor the refugees nor the security concerns of the West in mind. Guterres is the former Socialist Party Prime Minister of Portugal and former President of the European Council. And most notably, he was, from 1999 to 2005, President of the Socialist International, the radical Marxist organization that includes many former communist parties that have been branded themselves as Socialist or the new name, Social Democrat without significantly changing any politics or personnel. Although virtually unknown to most Americans, the Socialist International, SI, has been exerting enormous political influence worldwide since the 50s, especially through its dominant influence in the United Nations. And their goal is nothing less than world government. The Socialist International membership includes more than 160 socialist parties from more than 100 countries, including from 54 nations where SI member parties are currently running the show or sharing power in coalition government. And its 1962 Congress in Oslo, Norway, the Social International candidly said this, and I quote, The ultimate objective of the parties of Socialist International is nothing less than world government. Membership of the United Nations must be made universal. The SI has never deviated from this objective, and it's used its growing influence to push greater empowerment of the UN and its agencies to the point that the UN is now on the brink of becoming a world government. SI has called on the European Union to reach a speedy agreement to handle in a fair and humane way this flow of so-called refugee and asylum seekers from the Middle East, and the organization said, quote, While it's important to recognize that this is an issue of global dimension and requires countries from all continents assume their fair share of responsibility, how many times have we heard that? It's crucial for Europe today to act in line with the values, the spirit, and the solidarity of a common progress upon which the EU was founded with the participation of our movement and in keeping with its moral and legal obligations. First, how does S.I. claim anyone must assume their fair share of responsibility? Where did that idea come from? And second of all, what is this claim of common progress? Take a look at the Middle East and take a look at the West. There are light years of difference between the progress of one and living in the Dark Ages for the other. And that's been the result of choosing to do so. The West has been based on the Christian faith teaching victory in christ over the nations subduing the enemies of christ through the gospel and the middle east for the most part has been subdued by the teachings of allah and we all see what that's resulted in well si continued their appeal to the world when they said the socialist international remained committed to proclaiming political solutions to this crisis convinced that political action is the only way to achieve these conditions necessary for peace, democracy, and equality. This position has been borne out at the numerous meetings in the Migration Committee, its regional committees, and its councils, the most recent of which, held at the UN headquarters in New York, adopted unanimously a charter for the rights of migrants, refugees, and asylum seekers to which all of its member parties worldwide subscribed, And they said it almost like they expected this. At the SI Council meeting held at the UN in Geneva of 2014, Antonio Guterres, UN High Commissioner for Refugees and former President of the Socialist International, warned that the humanitarian system was reaching breaking point. S.I. said he also stressed the critical need to tackle the root cause that create humanitarian problems, which urgently need to be addressed from a political perspective. Others on the UN Interagency Standing Committee, the IASC, who are behind the scenes and have been pushing this agenda, including Helen Clark, Dr. Margaret Chan, and Anthony Lake, have been behind this whole thing. Well, the New American points out, what these people and the State Department have been up to. Here's what they say. The collaborative relationship between the U.S. State Department and the UNHCR, including IASC, is spelled out formally in the State Department document 2014-2015 Framework for cooperation between the United States Department of State's Bureau of Population, Refugee and Migration, and the Office of the United High Commission for Refugees. Now, I know that's a lot to unpack, but here's what it says. The document begins, The Bureau of Population, Refugees, and Migration of the United States Department of State, hereafter referred to as PRM, and the Office of the United Nations High Commission for Refugees, hereafter referred to as UNHCR, have been working in a formal partnership through a framework for cooperation since the year 2000, to provide protection, humanitarian assistance, and durable solutions to UNHCR's beneficiaries. And it goes on to say, They have a unique relationship. PRM has long been UNHCR's top donor. While UNHCR has been PRM's largest multilateral partner, this bilateral framework for cooperation to advanced shared objectives is solid. Ultimately, we can assume there's a greater end game than just being good humanitarians. Once this is in place and the chaos ensues, the UN will be called in to invade and keep the peace. With a global UN police force, this eventually seeks to be a predecessor to a one-world government because you have to have a way to enforce it. And if you're like me, you'd like to see the complete defunding of the United Nations by the United States And the removal of the organization and all of its tentacles from the United States. But as long as we have globalists in our government, this is what we can expect. It's only action on the part of the American people that can change this. This is up to you. Now I'm going to play you a clip here from Arthur Thompson who explains this mass UN-led migration. Please listen to this clip.
3: Well, Welcome back again this week to an analysis behind the news. Just got back from Washington, D.C., where I was talking to a number of aides for congressmen and that sort of thing on the free trade deal, and realized that unless they understand that there is a conspiracy to uh, arrest the sovereignty of the United States and destroy the independence of the American people, they're falling for these so called free trade deals. Won't get into the particulars, but it's the same thing with immigration. Unless you understand there's a conspiracy to break down the moral and social fiber of the various countries involved in taking in these refugees, you don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. They're too stupid, is your, is your answer to what they're doing. No, they're not stupid. There is a design to what they're doing. We all get these pictures, uh, these heart string tugging pictures of little kids and that sort of thing, but as we pointed out, in many, many of these locations in the European Union, uh, these are very virile men, a lot of thousands of them, thousands of these virile men. does not uh, They don't look like they've ever uh, missed a meal. Uh, they're all buff, so on and so forth, but they always go after the little family, the little kids, the dead boy on the Turkish beach, that sort of thing, to tug at people's heart to let these others in that are never, never vetted. You know, uh, we've been looking at this a long time. uh, And it's becoming a serious problem in the European Union, but it's been going on for decades. It's been going on for decades in the United States as well, which we'll show in a moment. But here out of the Wall Street Journal is, Refugee fight widens EU rift. And it says, The European Union pushing through a plan that forces member states to take in migrants. Now, last week, there was an article in the uh, Financial Times. And it basically said to Greece, look, we'll take care of your refugee problem for you as long as you give us control over your borders. If Greece would do that, you see, they would no longer have a country. A country without borders is no longer a country, or a country that cannot control its borders. And yet the very next day, they took away that ability from every member of the EU to, uh, to uh, have this refugee resettlement scheme, and not just Greece. But th- it's interesting when you read some of these newspapers that most of you never read, uh, like the Financial Times, it says some very interesting things. And, you know, I always look at four or five newspapers a day sometimes to get the real news. Uh, for instance, it says in here that uh, the resettlement of these refugees will be uh, only those that have come into Greece and into Italy. Now, this is 160,000 of just those that are in Greece and Italy. It doesn't count those in Austria. It doesn't count those in Croatia. Croatia doesn't count those in, in Hungary and that kind of thing. So this is only a certain segment of these uh, resettlements. It's only a a portion of the problem that's getting the headlines. The rest of it is apparently being ignored, and they keep coming in. Uh, The other thing is, too, for instance, here's one out of the Washington Post. And the Washington Post always tells the truth, right? Anyway, they say the proponents of the plan acknowledged Tuesday that it was just the first step to address the much bigger crisis according to the UN refugee agency and that uh, more than 477,000 people had arrived so they're resettling this 160,000 but they acknowledge nearly half a million. Then in addition to that they say Germany's uh, National Railway uh, Company announced Tuesday that it was suspending railway service to Austria because the trains have been overwhelmed with refugees. Perhaps you've seen some of these shots where they're actually pushing people in through the windows to pack these, these trains with refugees who don't pay. And so I pity the poor people sitting in the seats. They paid for their ticket, and all of a sudden these kids are being tossed through the window at them. Uh, that sort of thing. Maybe some of you have seen those pictures. Despite Hungary's opposition uh, of the asylum seekers, a government spokesman said Tuesday that his country would abide by the rules, by the plan. So in other words, it doesn't matter whether they're for it or against it, they'll abide by this. This is a compulsory decision, and we are going to respect it. So in other words, the EU has come down and made it mandatory for all these countries to bring in these refugees. So much for sovereignty, so much for controlling your borders, so much for independence. It's gone in the European Union. And this is the entity that politicians in Washington, D.C., and Obama want us to get involved and integrate with them into the Trans-Pacific Partnership, And excuse me, the Trans-Atlantic uh, Partnership. Trans-Pacific Partnership is where they want us to do the same with China. With that as the first step. That's another story. They say that you are uh, that when you are in Vienna, you can go anywhere, according to a refugee from Alpeo, Syria. So, in other words, they're told, or that's the word on the street, if you can just get to Vienna, Austria, from there you can go anywhere. And that's part of the problem. I just got home from Vienna a couple of weeks ago, and believe me, uh, the the Muslim garb, the Muslim people are all over the place. Whole neighborhoods are nothing but Muslims. you know. And, and now they want the United States to bring some of these in. And you can go to all the government websites and find out the requirements they have and the benefits these people will get when they get here. Now, believe me, ladies and gentlemen, these benefits that they say officially online are not quite accurate. Uh, they're bad enough but they don't go quite as far as the reality of the situation, which I'll get into in just a moment. Here, for instance, and this is nothing new now. Keep in mind, we've already said this is nothing new. Here is something from uh, uh, two years ago, over two years ago. Obama administration considering resettling Syrian refugees in the United States, and these are the states where they may go. And it's an article about that. Now, the interesting thing is, it says the State Department is ready to reconsider the idea. An official from the department said of the administration, if the administration receives a formal request from the United Nations Office of the High Commissioner for Refugees. Now, this is the problem that most people kind of gloss over when they read these articles. These refugee programs are actually overseen by the United Nations Office of the High Commissioner for Refugees. They're the ones who decide who are eligible for inclusion into your country. Now, just as an idea, Antonio Gutierrez is the past president of the Socialist International and a hardcore Marxist. He is the head of the United Nations High Commission on Refugees. This is the guy the guy we're going to trust? Guess who the man, main man in the United States that works with these people are? It's Anthony Lake, who the John Birch Society stopped from being named the head of the CIA because of his communist Marxist background. And he's the American that's going to be doing this. We don't vet these people at all. We are getting these people from the United Nations. And this article is two years old. But we've been looking at this for a long time, my file alone on it. And you can go through decade after decade, year after year. Here's here's one out of Parade Magazine, From the Middle East to the Midwest. And it shows, uh, it's an article about people coming in, these Muslims from these uh, war-torn places, not being vetted. We have no idea of who they are. Uh, here's another one. And this one was U.S. to help resettle more Syrian refugees, and this was a year ago. So this is not something new, ladies and gentlemen. We're just now beginning to to see what's going on, uh, and it's and it's not just Syria, it's not just Iraq, it's not just Iran and Afghanistan and everything else. I'm getting too excited here, uh, but you get this like out of the Times Digest, the New York Times, of over two years ago. It's an article on Mexican villages that have been cleaned out because they've all come into the United States. Uh, And, you know, that these Mexican villages used to be vibrant places, full of people. They're half-deserted, some of them now, because they came north. So this immigration problem is much bigger than people realize. We are allowing people to come into our country that we have no idea of their backgrounds from war-torn areas simply because they lost. Keep that in mind. You know, not all of the guys that lose are good guys. If this rebel beats that rebel, or this communist beats that communist, whatever, we bring them on into the United States. It is nuts. But it is only nuts if you think it's stupidity. It is design. These things are designed to break down the American society. And it's high time we force Congress to finally get some guts And stand up and do something about it. Until next week, we'll see you then.
2: So here's how this works into this Trojan horse of jihad under the cloak of migration. Recently, the Islamic State released a map of the areas it plans on expanding into over the next five years. This map includes European nations such as Portugal, Spain, Hungary, the Czech Republic, Slovakia, Greece, Bulgaria, Ukraine, Romania, Armenia, Georgia, Crete, Cyprus, parts of Russia. Putin understands this may be the reason that he's moving on ISIS now, before it gets out of hand like it is here in America. Because have you noticed, none of the refugees are going to Muslim countries. There's no need to do that. They're already Muslim. They're migrating as part of a jihad to take over non-Muslim countries, become the majority, and invoke Sharia law. And here's the proof that migration has been a Trojan horse for Islam. Historian Arnold Toynbee authored many history books, including *A Greek Policy since 1892 and the Murderous Tyranny of the Turks in 1917. Here's what he wrote, and I quote, Turks from Central Asia ruled during the first two centuries of their conquest by unscrupulous sultans who subjugated the Christian populations of Asia minor South European Europe compelling parts of the population to embrace Mohammedism and supporting their own power by seizing the children of the rest, forcibly converting them to Islam, making out of them an efficient standing army by whom valor and discipline the Turkish wars of conquest were carried on from early fifteenth century down through the nineteenth century. The Greeks were leaders of civilization in the ancient world in the Middle Ages till the Greek Empire of Constantinople was conquered by the Turks in 1453. The Armenians were the first people to make Christianity their national religion. They proclaimed a fine literature and architecture which the Turks' conquest destroyed. Turks have repressed all symptoms of Armenian revival by massacres. There are three stages in the history of the Ottoman tyranny. This Ottoman dominion, which started thus in the 13th century with a few square miles of territory in northwestern Asia Minor, expanded during the next 300 years till it stretched from within a few miles of Vienna to Mecca and Baghdad. It destroyed the ancient empire of Constantinople, which had preserved Greek learning during the Middle Ages. The free Christian kingdoms of Bulgaria, Serbia, Bosnia, Moldovia, and Hungary were destroyed. Toynbee described, The Ottoman method of conscription was to take a tribute of children from the conquered Christians, so many children from each family every so many years bring them into barracks as fanatical Muslims, and trained them as professional recruits. They were called Janissaries. These Janissaries militarized from their youth up and divorced from every human relationship except loyalty to their warlord, and they were the most formidable soldiers in Europe. And each new Christian land they conquered was a new field of recruitment for their corps. The Ottoman Empire literally drained its victims' blood. And its history of this vampire state is unparalleled in the history of the world. So mass migration and the eventual majority in numbers is a practice that's been used for hundreds of years. It's one of the stages of jihad. And we're going to talk about the stages of jihad in a little bit. So how does this possibly play into end-time prophecy? And the question is, is this, how God could make a Muslim antichrist come out of the European Union. Let me explain that. Christianity today is full of self-proclaimed theologians. These are scholars who explain to us, the unwashed masses, how God will fill in time prophecy. And they do it by mixing God's word and the understanding and wisdom of man, which presents some problems. God said that our ways are not his ways that our thoughts are not his thoughts. So how does man's wisdom impact God's in time prophecy? Well, man seems to think he's able to use the understanding of the world and man to figure out how God is going to make these things come to pass. Well, it's been my experience that when it comes to the working of God, the best advice is to expect the unexpected. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that today because there's something that should be flying in the face of everyone who's watching the signs of the times. That is the idea that this Antichrist will come from the European Union. And there's two different schools of thought on this. And they've been diametrically opposed to each other up to this point. So let me give you those two points of view and let's see if uh, something's happening here or if it's not. Now, according to Hal Lindsey... The Antichrist will be a quote-unquote future Fuhrer from Europe who will come to lead the European Union in its final in time form. He will have the technology of Europe and America at his disposal to usher in his mark-of-the-beast system, and also America's military might to back up his authority. Well, Hal doesn't speculate on where this false prophet comes from, But Perry Stone, however, believes the Antichrist will be someone who claims to be a Mahdi, Islam's Masonic figure, who will use the Arab gold reserves and oil to finance the world economy with a new global-backed currency after the Western economy's crash. Perry says he'll use a nuclear device to destroy Rome, Babylon the Great, and the false prophet Stone believes to be an apostate pope will come from the Vatican to Jerusalem, where he will establish a world religion based on a merger of Christianity and Islam. Well, who's correct? Could it be that both of them are at least in part correct? Let me throw this into the mix. I'm not saying this is what it is, but I'm saying this is how you expect the unexpected. Why did hundreds of thousands of Muslims all decide to migrate all at once, only into Europe, not into other Muslim countries where they would be welcomed? There's been a civil war in Syria for years. Why all at once? Well, for 1,500 years of Muslim imperialistic colonist blood conquest and subjugation of others, through invasion and war to the east of Arab in Iraq, Persia, and further eastward, which continues to this day, the Muslim wars of imperialist conquest have been launched for almost 1,500 years against hundreds of nations, over millions of square miles, significantly larger than the British Empire at its peak, and the lust for Muslim imperialist conquest stretched from South France to the Philippines and from Austria to Nigeria, from Central Asia to New Guinea. This is the classic definition of imperialism. The policy and practice of seeking to dominate the economy and political affairs of a weaker country. Well, in history, Muslims have waged jihad as colonists to convert the world to Islam. The Muslim goal was to have a central government, first in Damascus, then in Baghdad, later in Cairo, Istanbul, and other imperial centers. Then local governors, judges, and other rulers were appointed by the central imperial authorities over these conquered colonies. Islamic law was introduced as the senior law, whether or not wanted by the local people. Arabic was introduced as the ruler's language, and the local language would almost disappear. Two classes of residents were established, the native residents who paid the jizya tax that their Muslim rulers didn't have to pay, and in each case these laws allowed local conquered people less freedom than was allowed to the conquering colonist rulers. Even non-Arab Muslim inhabitants in these conquered lands became second-class citizens behind the ruling Arabs. This is the classic definition of colonist. A group of people who settle in a distant territory from the state having jurisdiction control over it and who remain under the political jurisdiction of their native land. Well, Palestine was the first Western, non-Arab area invaded in the Muslim imperious colonist bloody conquest and subjugation of others. Now, at the time, Palestine was under the rule of the so-called Eastern Roman Empire, ruled from Istanbul and Greek-speaking people, and was Eastern Orthodox Catholic. And the Eastern Roman Empire was in serious decline. And let me add that a nation in decline is ripe for conquest. These Eastern Orthodox rulers were despots and in Palestine had subjected the large population of local Jews and Christians because the Orthodox were imperialist, colonist, and bloody and majored in religious persecution to boot. Well, the Muslim imperialist colonists waged a bloody conquest, subjugated Palestinians, then Egypt, because orthodox weakness and the relative speed of conquest of Palestine and Istanbul. You often see this Muslim imperialist conquest described by Muslim and PC writers as peaceful and bloodless. But this statement is simply not true. Migration is part of the doctrine of jihad. Migration is so important to Islamic leaders... It's based on the Hezra, Muhammad's immigration from Mecca to Medina. And why? Because it was migration that led to the creation of jihad in Medina. And it was jihad that made Islam triumphant. In the past, Muslims tend to stay in Islamic countries. Today, the new politics is to migrate to kafir lands, those are non-believers, and immerse themselves in local politics. This is the jihad of money, writing, and speech. The politics is to bring the Sharia to kafir cultures, unbelieving cultures. An example is using Islamic money is to build departments in universities that will support Sharia and never criticize Islam. Does that sound familiar? You can't criticize Islam? I have a clip here that I want you to listen to. This is Bill Warner, and he explains a little bit about migration as jihad.
0: If you're keeping up with the news at all, you know there is a massive migration happening from the Islamic world into Europe, and the United States for that matter, through the refugee program. Now, we usually see migration being driven by politics and poverty. But there's another driver here which is the doctrine of jihad in Islam. How does this work? Well let's start with timekeeping and the calendar. In Islam they don't use the same calendar we do. They use the when they mark a year it has AH after it in the year of the Hijra Migration. And why do they do this? Well you see it's very simple. You would think that Islamic calendar would start with the birth of Muhammad or the date of the revelation of the Quran, but no. Instead, the Islamic calendar starts with what brought it success migration. You see, Muhammad preached the religion of Islam for 13 years in Mecca and persuaded 150 Arabs to become Muslim. Not a very high success rate. When he was driven out of Mecca and went to Medina, he became a jihadist and a warlord. And this brought him enormous success. After 10 years of being in Medina, practicing the art of jihad, he was ruler of all of Arabia and every Arab in Arabia was a Muslim. You see it was migration which led to the success of Islam and therefore that's the reason the calendar is keyed to migration because that's what brought it success. Now in the past Muslims didn't migrate much they stayed in Islamic lands but today through the pressure of population growth and poverty they're leaving and of course war we help to destabilize the governments and so therefore they're coming to those who actually destabilize their governments. It used to be that Muslims were supposed to stay in Islamic lands because that's where they could fully practice their Islam, where the Sharia ruled. But now then they're coming to America and a new twist has been put on the migration doctrine. You can come to the land of the kafir, the non-Muslim, but you must as much as possible live in Muslim enclaves and obey as much of the Sharia as possible. Now, in the past, there was one argument that Muslims should not take any part of the Jahiliya doctrine, ignorant doctrine of the Kafir, and to stay totally outside, to build a wall around the ghetto. But the Muslim Brotherhood has advocated a new argument. No, the immigrants are to start taking over the process of politics, stay in enclaves as much as they can, and then enter into politics where they start to influence the schools laws, civil rights laws, halal food, and other such things. What they're doing here is practicing the jihad of dollars and the jihad of the pen and the jihad of speech. That is, they're persuading Americans that, you know, Islam is just the best thing of all. So they're quite political in their arguments and their presence in front of our legislatures. Let me point out this something so that it'll be clear to you. There are many, many Buddhist immigrants who've come to America what was the last time you saw a rally where they were protesting for Buddhist rights? What was the last time you, the Buddhists had advocates or lobbyists in the legislature? They don't at all. You see, all of this, always the pressure we're having on our civil rights and all other aspects of how to live in America from the Muslims, this is all part of jihad. Jihad of the pen, and jihad of speech, and jihad of money. Jihad of money is an example is setting up centers within universities which strictly mouth the position of the Sharia. Now, the part of life that they cannot lead as a pure Muslim in America or Europe is covered by a principle in Sharia law. If you, Necessity overcomes obligation. If you're supposed to do something as a Muslim but you cannot because you're living in a Kafir land, then it is okay because the necessity of living is more important than a Sharia rule. So remember this as well. Under jihad, any rule of the Sharia can be broken. So, what we think of as politics and poverty has a new driver in American, and that is the politics of jihad. Migration as jihad. We're going to see a lot more of it. What are we going to do? Do we want to sustain our civilization? Then how are we going to deal with this problem? And why do we keep bringing in more and more of it? Think about all this.
2: Thank you. All right, I'm going to take a short break here. But when we come back, I'm going to report what the European news agencies are saying about this. We'll hear from David Woods, who will explain the three stages of jihad. You don't want to miss this. We'll be right back.
1: You're listening to a global pioneer in the new mainstream media, In Time News with W. Dean Shook. Your connection to the signs of the times.
2: GoDaddy offers everything you need to make a name for yourself on the web. From domain names and website builders to complete e-commerce solutions. We've earned our place as the world's number one accredited domain registrar by delivering world-class products at competitive prices and support them with industry-best services delivered 24-7, 365. We're proud to serve our customers from locations around the world. Sign up now at wdstrip.com and get your domain name as low as $5.99 a year. Sign up now at wdeansook. dot Go, Daddy. Go, Daddy. Hi, folks. Have you noticed the federal government and police departments are using drones for everything? Drones are expensive. They're hard to fly. It can take up to a week just to learn to make a drone hover. Not anymore. There's a new generation of drones that are not only affordable, but very easy to fly. Now you can have your own personal drone. Anything from a Micro Mini that'll fit in the palm of your hand, right up to a full-scale model, 10 inches in diameter like the model I have, the V949 Pro comes with a 6-axis 4-rotor blade and an HD 2.4 camera mounted on the bottom. These drones are made of a space-age polymer. They're durable, and don't worry about crashing your drone. Replacement blades for this drone from the website are only eighty for a pack of four. That's right, I said $1.80 for a pack of four replacement blades. You can also get an extra long life battery. This battery allows you up to a half hour of fly time with a maximum speed of 40 miles an hour. Have your own personal drone and you can get all of this for under $70. If you go to the website, wdeanshook.com, and click on the banner on the webpage, you can get from 7 to 22% off your personal drone. It's shipped as a kit. You can be up and flying your own personal drone with an HD camera within a half hour. Come to the webpage, wdeanshook.com. Click on that banner and get your discount today, wdeanshook.com.
1: Something else that Muslim immigration appears to have brought to Norway is what some here call a rape epidemic. Recent police statistics showed that in the capital of Oslo, 100% of assault rapes between strangers were committed by immigrant non-Western males, and 9 out of 10 of their victims were native Norwegian women. Some blonde Norwegian women have reportedly begun dyeing their hair black, and many travel only in groups. Kristen Spitznogel is a therapist who has counseled some of the rape victims, and she's been attacked in the Norwegian media for saying what many will not, that the rape problem is primarily Muslim men raping non-Muslim women, and any woman who does not dress modestly and wear the Muslim headscarf could be considered by some Muslim men as fair game.
3: For them, I think the hijab is a symbolic uh, marker which um, separates the submissive, proper, Muslim women from what they see as the Norwegian horse. But when I say horse, I'm really just referring to their own words. This is what they told the journalists.
1: Spitsnogel says Norway's left-wing establishment has been blaming the victims because the whole notion that Islamic culture is dangerous to women is very politically incorrect here. Hanna Herland is author of the best-selling book, Alarm, Thoughts on a Culture in Crisis.
3: Not all values from Islamic countries or cultures are excellent to bring into the European society. And I think many times the Norwegians fear to speak about that in fear of being called a racist.
1: Do you think the media is biased? Maybe they're leaving something out, or there's something they're not telling you. Now, you have a source for the truth in the news. W. Dean Shook, End Time News. Your connection to the signs of the times.
2: The Daily Mail is reporting. A furious Muslim parent taught the New Jersey school board over religious holiday closure and says we're going to be the majority soon. Muslim families had wanted New Jersey City schools to shut down on September 24th in observance of Id al-Allah. After initially improving the move, the state school board voted to keep the school open so as not to disrupt the lives of non-Muslim families. Several Muslim parents who attended the meeting screaming in rage, one woman in a purple headscarf told the board, we're no longer the minority, that's clear from tonight, we're going to be the majority soon. I guess she just let that slip, but because when Muslims become the majority, they'll force Sharia law on every institution, government entity, and community in America. Our freedom will be gone. Do you think I'm kidding? Truth in Action puts it very well when they say this. Obama is now openly, through the State Department, bringing thousands of Muslims from Syria every month and has already imported hundreds of thousands in an effort to build that civilian army he promised to create. Did you really think he would build this army out of Americans? To add insult to injury, our government permits dozens of terrorist training camps to exist right here in our borders. It tells us just now how infiltrated we are as a nation that this is permitted. But, long before Obama ever committed to these treasonous acts in front of everyone.